Welcome to St. Mark's Cathedral Conversations, a podcast featuring members of the St. Mark's Cathedral community in Seattle, Washington. These interviews feature lives of faith and adventure, service and connection. Here's our host, Michael Pereira. We're sitting here today with Julia Logan, our senior warden, and it's always interesting to me to think about the work that goes into the life of a cathedral. We think about Dean Thomason and all the other clergy on Sunday mornings, but day to day, week to week, there is a machine that runs this place. Hundreds of people doing so many different things, and one of the people at the center of that machine is Julia Logan. So Julia, thank you so much for joining us today about this conversation. You're welcome, Michael. Before we get to all the secrets and the juicy gossip of being a senior warden, uh, let's just start with you. Just tell us a little bit about you, where you come from, and how this Episcopal Church thing got started for you. Uh, well, it got started for me at birth. Um, my parents were both Episcopalians, but uh, there was a considerable chance that I would die momentarily after I was born. So I was baptized almost immediately after birth. So people talk about being a cradle Episcopalian. I'm, I'm a bassinet <laughs> Episcopalian, I think. Um, you know, and I, I grew up in the Episcopal Church in um, the Diocese of South Carolina during the 50s and 60s. It was um, very much a part of our family life. Uh, My mother was a fairly active volunteer. Uh, My father worked long hours and uh, six days a week and uh, was not really he was more of a go to church on a Sunday morning kind of person um, but my brothers and I were involved in Sunday school in choir in um, various uh, as we got older various youth uh, opportunities volunteer work um, so it was just it was just always sort of a given and I think uh, there was always a recognition that um, giving to the church didn't just mean giving um, of your money, but it also meant giving your time because it was a place that nurtured you and formed you. And one way of acknowledging that was to be involved in the life of the congregation. Um, being that it was the South in the 1950s and 60s, I uh, became disenchanted uh, with um, some of the ways that the, the, the Episcopal, as I saw it, the Episcopal Church, of course it was very much that congregation in that place in that time. Mm-hmm but operated and uh, being a bit of a rebel, uh, I saw a huge disconnect between what a lot of people did and said on Sundays and what they did and said 
the other six days of the week. Uh, so by the time I went to college, I was lucky enough to get involved with a group of Quakers, oh. which was, from my perspective, the first time I saw people really acting out their faith on an hour-to-hour, day-to-day, week-to-week basis. They got involved in um, religious issues, they got involved in social issues, Uh, they, to use the trite, overworked phrase, they not only talked the talk, they walked the walk. Um, So there was a lot of anti-war, anti-Vietnam War activity, a lot of civil rights activity, stuff that really spoke to me um, that I felt was not only politically and socially important, but also it was part and parcel of my faith. Right. Um, I continued being active with the Quakers um, probably up to my 30s, um, but I had moved back to South Carolina, and there was a, there was a, and is a Quaker presence there, but it is a very small one. Um, and I uh, found myself looking for different outlets, and most of the outlets I found tended to be uh, more social and political justice organizations than faith-based organizations. So. Um, you know, between that and work commitments, I I became a nun for a while, uh, an N O N E nun. <laughs> I hasten to add, um, probably until I was in my mid to later thirties, and then I found in Charleston a very small church that uh, is very interested in social justice issues, in being inclusive in all the many ways that that entailed. And I started going to that church and found a home there. Do you think you had been looking for a reconnection back to church and the Episcopal Church, or was this... I think I, think I was, yes. Um, I think it was, was and is such an integral part of me that... While for those few years I might have denied it and maybe even actively denied it, I think I really missed it. Um, it, it, I I missed that particular kind of community and community commitment that um, nurtures one personally as well as um, encourages spiritual and other growth. So you found an Episcopal church that helped you reconnect to that, that gap you have been feeling, but also pushed forward on the social work and the social causes that were dear to you. What was that experience like? I mean, the best of both worlds? It seems it, like? I think it was the best of both worlds. It um, allowed me, it was, it was a small church. It is a small church. And it was actually when I first started going there, it was a mission. Mm-hmm. And it did not become an actual parish until after I had been there for a couple of years. 
um, and I was part of that process. Um, so it, it allowed me to be involved in a lot of different things with the, because it was small, um, I, I wore a lot of different hats mm -hmm. there. I was involved in a lot of different ways. Um, you know, and that being said, it also allowed me to explore what being a faithful Christian means and how one connects that to all areas of my life. So for you, what does being a faithful Christian mean? I think it means living up to the baptismal covenant, uh, loving others as we, as we love ourselves, uh, giving back, um, recognizing that um, we have a purpose that goes way beyond just day-to-day -day existence, that there is something else more important than we are, and what we do in recognition of that is way more important than any kind of um, worldly success, if you want. So you had this reconnection to the Episcopal tradition, and you found an expression for it through a church that lived out social values. Where did St. Mark's come in? Yeah. Um, I ultimately left uh, South Carolina about a dozen years ago, a little more than that, and um, did some traveling and went to, ended up being in Vancouver, British Columbia. <laughs> for uh, a number of years and I connected with Christchurch Cathedral there uh, which is a wonderful place. Uh, it is uh, very much like St. Stephen's, the church I attended in Charleston. Um, it is very much like St. Mark's. Yeah, um, it's obviously it's a cathedral. Um, and um, I didn't get as active there as I had been in Charleston, but I did find connections there that nurtured me. Um, when I moved to Seattle uh, six years ago, a little over six years ago, um, I very much knew that I needed and wanted that connection mm -hmm. here. Um, I looked around, I looked at Quaker meeting here, I looked at um, various Episcopal churches here, and um, I visited a couple of smaller churches um, which I liked, but um, not gonna lie, they required me 
taking several buses and walking a bit to get to. And I decided, well, you know, on my list was St. Mark's. And it is certainly of the physical options, the closest to where I live. Um, And I don't know, I walked in to an 11 o'clock service one Sunday and I felt at home. As soon as you walked in? As soon as I walked in. Um, part of that, of course, is that the music and liturgy are familiar. Okay. That, that, of course, is also the case at the other Episcopal churches I went to, so that's only part of it. Um, but there was some kind of deeper connection of just feeling like I was home. And the the closest experience I've had of that is when I first came to the Pacific Northwest, I had that first immediate reaction was, I've come home. Had you been to? I had never been to the Pacific Northwest until 2006. What was it about this this place geographically or generally that spoke to you? I, you know, it's climate, it's um, geography, it's political and social climate. Hmm. Um, What I have subsequently discovered is that um, I had my my one connection to Seattle is that I had a great aunt who lived here for oh, 30 or 40 years. Um, I never met her personally, although we uh, she was very good to me as a child. She always remembered birthdays and Christmases and uh, wrote to me. Um, I did not find out until I had been coming to St. Mark's for over a year that she was a member of St. Mark's. Wow. So, uh, I don't know, maybe, maybe there is a, uh, you know, is that the Holy Spirit? Is that family? Is that blood? Uh, is it all the above? Maybe. Or is it just that St. Mark's is an opening and welcoming place? And uh, I maybe it's everything. All of those things. Well, it kind of makes me think how a couple of minutes ago you were talking about the expression of the Christian faith being that we are part of a much larger picture. And sometimes we are connected to other parts of the picture in ways that we cannot ever expect. But sometimes it's we share those connections. We share that world. Absolutely. And things happen. Absolutely. Um, you know, and I um, am always a bit stunned and awed and grateful for those connections. Um, you know, we don't always, maybe we don't always have the opportunity to recognize them when they're being made, mm-hmm. but they do get made, and it is an incredible blessing when we get to see them being made. It's like that the veil between our 
understanding and the divine presence just becomes a little bit thinner. Yes. Which is amazing when we see those moments. Yes. And we're privileged to be there. So you felt an instant connection at St. Mark's. When did your desire to start doing more come about? Because you didn't immediately jump into Vestry. And you no, absolutely not. Learn. Absolutely not. Um, <laughs> I had been very involved in at, at St. Stephen's in Charleston. I had been on the Vestry. I had been uh, a lay leader who wore many hats. And... Um, you know, one of the, the um, of course, attractive issues about a cathedral is it's big enough that you can get involved to the extent that you want to get involved. Um, which is not to say that people, you know, people, not just the cathedral itself as an entity but people made me feel very welcome and connected to me very quickly um, but I hung back I was you know I wanted to see is this is this really home um, is this do I really want to get invested in the in the workings of the of any church or have I been there done that you know and I don't need to do it again right because um, I've paid my dues <laughs> um, and I would say I don't know a couple of months um Maybe I decided after I'd started attending on a rel relatively regular basis, um, that pulled to get a little bit more involved, mm -hmm. uh, got stronger. Um, one of the things that I find gives me an incredible amount of connection and joy is um, being a lector and I had done that and I became aware that I really missed that. What did you undo you enjoy about being a lector? Um, I love the discipline of reading and studying a particular passage not and realizing I'm doing it not just for myself, but the job of the lector is to read it and hopefully help listeners connect with that particular passage at the same time. So it not only is something that I do for myself, but I feel like it's an, it, it's a really integral part of, of any worship service. And is that how you got started doing more at St. Mark's? Yes. Um, I you know, put my hand up and, um, you know, even though I may not have acknowledged it to myself, um, 
it's not as though I didn't really know this, that the minute you put your hand up and say, um, oh, I might want to be involved with this, um, <laughs> somehow you're going to be great, um, wonderful. Um, you know, and, I, you know, I, I, when I've done this, I've done it. I had done it in a very small church with very good acoustics. Mm-hmm. Doing it in the cathedral um, is an entirely different, it, it's the same, but it's very logistically different. <laughs> um, so there were challenges. Mm-hmm. Um, and um, one of the things that nobody ever seems to believe me when I say it, but I am painfully shy and I hate getting up and speaking in front of small groups of people, you know, let's just don't even talk about um, several hundred people. You are aware you are senior warden. Yes. Yes. (laughs) I am aware of that. (laughs) So that's a lot to overcome. That's a lot to work through. It's... It's one of my challenges, um, and I think it's one that I have um, I have worked on all my life. I will always work on, and um, yeah, I, whether or not people are being uh, nice or whether it's true, I have been told that I read well. Um, if that's true, then I think it is important for me to overcome my qualms mm-hmm. um, and do that. It's, you know, and once I had gotten my feet wet there, I also, also agreed to be intercessor, which has got its own challenges because you don't get to practice mm-hmm. um, because the prayers of the people change so that was the, that was the next hurdle. It's funny that in a way, as much as Saint Mark's felt like an immediate connection back home, there's a part of you that was ramping up those stakes to say, let's just make it a little bit more challenging. Let's not be yes. too comfortable here. Exactly. You know, and I think you know if if I have my timeline right, I think the next thing that. I got involved in was volunteering at the Noel House shelter. I think, again, a connection to justice. A connection to justice, um, a very public thing, mm-hmm. um, but it's also a way of recognizing that and acknowledging the gratitude I feel for the blessings that I have and um, trying to connect with people who don't have those same blessings and opportunities. So here and there, I just kept putting more and more opportunities came up. Um, The welcome table, being a greeter, the quilt ministry. Um, You're in quilt ministry? Yes, I am. I had no idea. Um, you know, and 
every single one of those things are ways for me to connect to St. Mark's and to the people at St. Mark's, but they also, um, it's a good balance between giving back and nurturing myself. The energy required to give back in an odd way because you're putting something out is incredibly nurturing and feeding for me. Um, and so, you know, it's gradual, but um, more and more I just kept finding myself with a little toehold here and a little toehold there. <laughs> this place has a way of doing that. It so. does. It does. Um, you know, and there are um, so many people and so many ministries at this place that um, make those connections, make, make making those connections easier. That's a great segue to talk about Vestry as one of the, I think, more involved ways of showing that gratitude, of making these connections, of giving back. Uh, and there are certainly so many other ways to do that that don't involve Vestry, but was that the the genesis of that particular calling? I think so. Um, because, especially because I had, I had experience of being on a vestry. Um, I recognize that it is, uh, it's about the nuts and bolts of any given congregation. And, um, it has its own incredible set of challenges and ways to grow. And um, it requires a lot more than just, I will show up for this meeting or this particular activity once a month. Um, you can't do it without having a deep love for the place you're doing it in. At least I don't think you can. And um, it requires commitment, it requires faith, it requires um, decision making, it requires um, so many different things but at the same time, it gives you an incredible appreciation for how any church, but particularly how this cathedral runs. I'm hearing some reflections of my own decision to staff a vestry in that, in the sense that if this is a place that truly, <clears throat> excuse me, truly nourishes you, spiritually and communally, then you do feel a call to go deeper. And some people do that in EFM, some people do that in discernment, um, or in whatever ministries they're in. And Vestry is one expression of that. Yes, absolutely. Um, I have been thinking about stewardship mm -hmm. a lot lately. And... Um, 
Obviously, stewardship involves money. Um, but it is, we are called to be stewards of this place in many ways. And um, no matter what one's personal circumstances, it can be very easy to say, um, and I, I, I don't say this meaning that it is not sometimes incredibly diff difficult for people to make a financial commitment, no. because okay. it is. Yeah. But once having made that decision and working within the, you know, one's own uh, capabilities financially, it can also be very easily to, easy to say, I'll give a dollar a week. You know, that that's a lot for a lot of people. Yeah. Um, other people can give more, and that is a, you know, whichever it is, it is significant contribution. But it can be, it can be a real challenge sometimes to recognize the fact that the more difficult gift is the one of time and energy. And when that one is the one that you're called to give, we, we tend to think, oh, it's easy to say no. Well, for some people, it's hard to say no. <laughs> um, and sometimes it's hard to say no to some things. It's easier to say yes to some things. But um, on a day-to-day -day consistent basis to say yes to give significant amounts of time and energy to the unglamorous stuff hmm. is the gift that I am always grateful that people make because it is not an easy one at all. If I remember correctly, your ministry in your first year of vestry was the justice ministries. It was. And again, a connection back to what back you were looking for. Back to what all I have been time. looking for all these decades. <laughs> yes. You know, it was a challenge when, uh, towards the end of my first year on vestry, I was asked to consider being a warden. And my initial response was, thank you so much, no. I didn't want to make that deeper commitment. Um, but being the well brought up person that I am, I agreed that I would consider it. Agreeing to consider it while saying to myself, yes, and, and my answer is still going to be no. Um, but um, the more I sat with that question, um, the more I realized that the decision really, the decision that I needed to make was whether I was going to step up and say, yes, if this is what I am supposed to do next, then I'm open to that. Um, it didn't necessarily mean that it was going to happen, hmm. but would I be, was I 
saying no because I just didn't want to do it. That's a difference in saying no for the wrong reason. It is. It absolutely. Or was was I fighting? I dislike the word, but I can't think of another one at the moment. A legitimate calling. Or was I choosing or trying to choose to ignore where the spirit was leading me? After a lot of thought and prayer and consultation with with various mentors, uh, I realized that I couldn't say no to the to the responsibility or to the possibility that that was possibly the next logical step. And you know, I I people said to me, well, you know, you can always ignore the spirit. Can you though? Really? Well, I think people do. People try. I. I've found that it doesn't work very well. <laughs> um, she has a way of making sure that she's not ignored. Oh, that's beautiful. What a, what a narrative. I mean, I remember you saying, for a while you considered yourself an active nun. That mm-hmm. You were disillusioned with church. It, it wasn't fitting how you saw the world and what you wanted to do. And here you are, just not that long ago from the time of this conversation, making this huge personal decision about whether you will step up into a very visible leadership role in a faith community. That's, that's not the kind of thing you see coming. No, no. I would not have 10 years ago, 5 years ago, uh, certainly not 25 years ago, um, and probably not a year ago would I have uh, seen me being where I am right now. But um, it feels like a progression and another step on my journey and the logical step. It is... It's one that I am grateful for and challenged by. And even though I didn't see it coming, in some odd way it feels right. Like your first time in St. Mark's, it felt right walking through those doors and saying, this feels like home. Mm-hmm. And I'm sure even as challenging and as difficult it was as to make that decision to say, I'm going to be warden and then senior warden, it felt like you were stepping into a role that was, in one way or another, had your name on it. Mm-hmm. Although, you know, have, you know, saying that, I think there are, there are other people who... Um, are capable of the role and have sure. plenty of gifts for the role. So, 
you know, that's the beauty of St. Mark's is that um, there are a lot of people with a lot of gifts and I think it is, it is an integral part of this place that people step up when their gifts are called on here. And that, that's what keeps a lot of people coming here, I think. I think that's a real credit to Steve Thomason and the clergy and the staff to creating this environment where we are encouraged to discern the things that we're good at, that we love to do, and to say, well, can this, uh, can this scale to the life of this community in a way that certainly enriches us individually in our own spiritual lives, but then can this be a benefit for other people and this, this place that we call our spiritual home? Yes. You mentioned the challenges of being a senior warden, and without, without getting too lurid, what are some of the things that push back against you? Um, it's a big place. Um, there are lots of things going on. Um, senior warden, vestry members, and, and the wardens wear a lot of different hats. Uh, everybody has really busy lives, so trying to balance our commitments and our responsibilities here with our own day-to-day lives sure. is, is certainly a big one. Um, It's a, it, it requires all kinds of skills, diplomatic skills, people skills, um, practical skills, uh, interview skills, committee skills, <laughs> um, you, and you know, some of them are skills that I haven't used in a while and so I've had to dust them off and and trot them out and uh, recycle some of them <laughs> um, but um, that's a good thing I find that a good thing as well as a challenging thing and sometimes yes I will admit it an exhausting thing um, but It also means that as connected personally to this place as I have felt, I'm getting to know more and more people, um, what makes them tick, what their passions are. And that is incredibly nurturing for me um, because even though I'm shy, even though I don't like to get up and speak in public, I love people. I love making connections with people. I love digging to, sometimes you have to dig harder than others to find connections with people, but I love that. I absolutely love it. And it's just, it's, a, it's, a, it's an entirely different way of being 
in a community because there is that part of it, but I am also allowed space to nurture and grow my spiritual side at the same time. And people are really respectful of that, by and large. So I, that's an incredible gift that I feel the congregation has given me. Um, and this notion that we're all trying to do what's best for this place that we all so deeply love. It sounds like knowing what you know now, you could not see yourself doing anything else. Yeah. And, you know, I probably, six months ago, I might have said something very different. But <laughs> uh, six months in, I said, like I said, it's, it is a challenging but nurturing uh, responsibility that I am incredibly grateful for. You've come back to the idea of nurturing so many times. Even when you were talking about your time back on the East Coast... It's ironic in a little way to think of this big old cathedral with hundreds of people in it and to still use that word nurturing, but it's absolutely there. It's at the heart of what we as a church should be, I think. I agree. And I think, you know, I have been in smaller places of worship that don't accomplish that and it it is um you think of it as being antithetical to a place that is this big but it is absolutely not okay. and again credit to the leadership for knowing the potential not knowing the risks that could happen to a church of this size and we don't have to look too far to see how bigger churches lose their way but to know who we can be as a community, who we can, what we can be as a culture, and for nurturing to be one of those characteristics that beats out so many others. Like you said, that's what draws people here, mm-hmm. to stay and then to grow and then to look back and say, in some ways, I'm a different person now because of that. And then for you, how has this changed you? Whether it's being senior warden or just your time here at St. Mark's, how are you in 2019? a different person than you were from the day you walked in. How are you different now? I think I think it's still a work in process, but I think it has helped me to be open to all the ways that I continue in my life to need to grow personally. And what are, how do I best do that? For me, finding a faith community in which I can explore myself, explore my spirituality, explore my faith, and explore the ways in which I connect not just to people here, but to people in the wider world. That's, that's what 
that's what a faith community is supposed to do. And that's, that's the, sometimes the daily challenge, but the daily opportunity and the daily gift of St. Mark's. I like how you wrap all that up. Challenge, opportunity, and gift. They absolutely don't have to be mutually exclusive, and maybe shouldn't even be. Yes, because it goes back to responsibility, and it's responsibility to self, responsibility to community, responsibility to the wider world. And um, if you can practice it and do it here, you can do it anywhere. And for you, this is practice. Being as difficult as being seen a warden can sometimes be. Time away from home, time away from things you would sometimes much rather be doing. This is the practice of gratitude. This is the practice of giving back. The practice of nurturing, too. That even in this leadership role, you are nurturing the ministries and the groups and the individuals in this community. But that sense of work... If we take this Christian calling seriously, we cannot simply pat ourselves on the back and call it good, that we've qualified, we're done, that we still have to go out there and we have to, cliched as it sounds, change the world. Yes, and you know, I, I have to, to remember that what really started me on this journey uh, back in the 60s was I wanted a place that challenged me to not just go to church for an hour one day a week and rest on on those laurels, so to speak. Mm-hmm. That's that's not enough. Not for me. That's a great way to to bring this full circle, how this started for you. And like you said, I mean, you were born into this. This Episcopal tradition lo- runs long and deep for you, but sometimes you need, I think, to step away to see what you've been missing and to, to, to rediscover it again in such a big way, such a meaningful way. Yes, you know, I don't, I don't, I don't regret my time away because hmm. I think it, it allowed me to discover really what was important and what I needed. Um, and yeah, for some, you know, obviously for many people, they don't need that, I did. Um, And I had the grace and opportunity to discover that and realize that that there were other things that I was meant to do beyond um, just showing up for a protest march or signing a petition or uh, belonging to a group that was focused on one or another particular social justice issue. There's a big difference between the feel-good stuff, which is good, and the do-good stuff. Yes. In all this conversation, there's one thing we haven't yet talked about, and might be the most important thing, which is we haven't mentioned Henley at all. Henley is, uh, Henley is my co-conspirator uh, for anyone, and I'm sure there will be people who don't, uh, certainly from this conversation, wouldn't know. Uh, 
I am legally blind. Henley is my guide dog. And uh, Henley's great gift to, the, to me is that he gets me out into the world and makes that part of my life possible. Um, and he is also a goodwill ambassador for the cathedral. Um, <laughs> there are, uh, I, I would venture to say that there are any number of people who maybe consider Henley the senior warden and maybe <laughs> the um, assistant senior warden, but you know, whichever, um, we both seem to have our roles to play. And he's a, he's a great, he's not only an asset in that he is a guide dog, he is, he's the cathedral dog, I think. Or at least that's, it's, it's, it's the way I feel on a lot of different ways. And um, I connect to a lot of people, not, not just here, but in my day-to-day -day life that I wouldn't necessarily connect with because of him. It's an easy way for people to make an instant connection, um, which then allows us to make other connections. So, um, yeah, he's, he's a gift that, that, he's definitely a gift that continues to give hourly. <laughs> On that note, Julia Logan, thank you so much for sharing your story and your journey with us. I've learned so much from you about these, these threads that draw us deeper and closer in community and relationship. And in work, too, that as you and I both members of the vestry, you were the vestry life before this. We know um, there are long meetings. There's a lot of reading to do. There are a lot of conversations to have. But if we truly believe in the work of the people, that means we don't just do that work on Sunday mornings. We're here Tuesday evenings, and God knows how many meetings you have to attend. <laughs> but... Again, if we truly believe that we are called to serve, to serve God and to serve God's people, then this is why we do this. And as difficult as it is, as time-consuming as it is, when we wake up the next morning, we know what our, what our job is, what our mission is. Yes, absolutely. Thank you, Michael. I've enjoyed this. Thanks for listening to our podcast. Our music was performed by Michael Kleinschmidt on the Flintrop organ at St. Mark's. Michael Pereira and Andrew Himes produced the podcast, and we hope you'll visit stmarks.org. So long!